Hi, Paul. Good morning again, sir. You're right. I'm good. Hello, Graham. Hello, and no one on mute. No, that's right. We're all <laughs> unmuted. <laughs> we've learned we've learned how to use it today. Good morning, Graham. <laughs> how are you doing? You, you okay? Yeah, good, thank you. Splendid, splendid. Graham, you might be able to see behind me in a blue box, behind my shoulder. There's a blue box with um, VHS <laughs> tapes of the the Huntsome Court uh, sessions, which I've, some of which I've seen. Brilliant. Have you seen the the year two thousand one with that wonderful crying time again? Have you seen no, that? I haven't seen that yet. Oh, it's really, really lovely. Um, and as Henry was saying, um, the song is, is there, fully formed. It's wonderful. Where were you when I wanted you? Where were you when I needed you? Your eyes are cold as ice. It's crying time again. Yeah, in fact, when... I, I all I did was actually um, we did a demo of it and the demo was really good and I just added um, Andrew uh, Andrew Gold played on it um, and I did some other things I think I redid the bass possibly but it was uh, no as you say it was it was all that yeah such yeah. a lovely song and it's fascinating um, uh, seeing both of you kind of take part in really eclectic stuff. Um, there's the Henry doing a kind of a rap thing, which is uh, yeah. fabulous from the 2002 one, which I don't think you were at. Yeah, uh, no. Yeah, and there's one song, Graham. I think it might be on the two, 2001 as well. And I thought, hang on, I think this this chord's going to have uh, this song's going to have one chord. Uh, but no, you changed the chord after about a minute. It's really yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah. maybe your ambition was already realised. Yeah, but uh, I'm, I'm loving, loving going through this stuff. You know, it's fantastic. Yeah, the stuff I've seen is just from um, 1998. Yeah. Um, Brain Dead was one of them. Yeah. Um, yeah, there was a few. It's really interesting going back and looking at those songs. Some had that good parts, and other one, ones I thought, well, why did the hell did we move to that section? It sounds completely irrelevant to the previous yeah. section, you know. So it's, e I mean, it's easy to uh, to criticise in hindsight, but um, yeah, there's a few surprising things, a few good surprises. As yeah, well. definitely. But I mean. I've, I've done similar things uh, myself in the past, and I always find it a really enjoyable process. I was surprised myself that I can, well, back in the old days, write kind of to order under pressure. But it's um, there's no wonder, you know, funny decisions get made, isn't it? Because yeah, you're, you're there in you know, kind of uh, in the in the spur of the moment. That's right, and also you're put together with other writers that sometimes it works very well with. I mean, the majority of the time, actually, we always got something. Mm. Um, other times, one writer in the team may be sort of putting things out of balance or not sympathetic to what the other two are doing, and that can, that can not be very productive. Yeah. The, the whole process for me was more about 
the relationships that I made that went on afterwards. Um, Kirsty McCall in particular, yeah. who the session, the session with her and the third person didn't go well, but she and I got on very well mm. and started to meet up after Hunch and Court, and then we did a, you know, we did some things together. I'm talking a fan. He lives in a high-rise block, and here I am. He shouldn't have turned my rock. He's brushing his teeth. He doesn't look bad from this. Sure, sure. And I, I imagine that the relationship with Henry really sparked up during the, the Huntsome. Yeah. yeah, and it's gone on. You know, I mean, Henry and I will, will definitely write together in the future. Um, because we always we, we enjoy each other's company, which is yeah. quite a thing as well. It's a bonus. Mm. Um, but we're on the same um, they're on the same page musically. Yeah, mm. no, that's obvious. That's really good. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much for um, Jaime's writing, by the way. Yes. Uh, yeah, I thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed it. It's fascinating. Perhaps outside the scope of this podcast, but you yeah. know, uh, um, it really does. Uh, well, you said yourself, if you want to know the man better, read the book, and that—that that was apparent yeah. completely. Yeah, yeah. That, that's what it—that's what it's what it's for. And yeah, uh, yeah you you know, there, there might be some words, you know, as I said, that you might have difficulty. Well, you probably have difficulty with. That's right. The gloss, the glossary was very useful, Graham. <laughs> the Yiddish, yeah. what they mean. Yeah, yeah. But you'll get a little taste of what Yiddish is. In that it's a very colourful, onomatopoeic uh, language, you know, and it's. Um, Anyway, I'm glad you're, you're, uh, you've got it and you're enjoying that. Yeah, really. Thank you ever so much, Graham. Fascinating stuff. Yes. Um, Can I just ask you one question about that? Because it, it sort of is a song lyric from Cheatham Hill to Cheadle. Yes. Which is dated 67. Was, that, was, was music written to that? Yeah, I wrote a song. Oh. All right. Was it, was it released? I, I'm not aware of it. No, it was purely for a charity uh, event. It does exist, uh, but only in my head. From the Cheetah Hill to Cheetah, it isn't very far. No more than 30 minutes if you go back home. Interesting. Yeah, uh, oh, how wonderful. It was lovely. Yeah, the lyrics in the book, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, maybe I should put it on tape. Maybe I should put it on tape and give it to uh, David for the archive. Yes. Wonderful idea. Right. Well, can I ask, was that music then composed at the time in 1967 as well? Yeah. Okay, okay. That would be a significant song to, to see. Because um, mm. that seemed like a, a, an attempt to bring the two worlds together a bit. You know, talking about the more overtly about the, the your father's experience, perhaps. Well, this was this, uh, what, what the title says describes what happened because a lot of uh, Jewish immigrants came into with no money, nothing, went into the poorest areas of various cities, whether it be the East End of London Mm. or um, North Manchester. And those that did well eventually moved south. Yeah. Like moving from, I don't know, I, d- I better be careful what I say now about areas, but like, 
moving from Croydon to Hampstead, say. Yeah, no, yeah. it's it's without being Croydonist. <laughs> well, that's okay. But yeah, the, the north-south divide again, talking very broadly in Manchester. Well, it is a north, it's reversed. Yeah. It's reversed, isn't it? You know. Mm. Yes, but actually, with Cheetham Hill to Cheadle, actually, is a north-south divide because. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cheetham Hill is in the north of Manchester. And yeah, it's right near Victoria Station, isn't it? Cheetham Hill. It, it, yes, it's it, yes. If you go to Victoria and carry on up Barry New Road, you get to Cheetham Hill. Yeah, right. it's kind of like you, you pass strange, strange ways on on the on route, don't you? Really? Yeah, you do. Yeah. 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 Brilliant. I I found the Go one on. um, where your dad was talking about the the kind of cosmic interconnectedness of Jewish people, where everyone's of one family. I found that I found that really interesting. Yeah, the, the the Jewish word for family is mishpacha, and he calls it mishpachology. It makes That's it right. into a dance. Oh yeah, right, it's right. Dance. So yeah, it, I think it's a. He used to talk about the call of the tribe, where you kind of, it's easy to recognise, uh, for a Jewish person to recognise another Jewish person, yeah. uh, and it's nothing to do with. Colour, obviously, but it's just something mm, mm. that, that uh, not always bright, but a lot of the time. Yes, it's, it, he made it sound like you, all you need to do is say the magic word shalom, and 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 suddenly, suddenly, there's that connection. There, there's that for conf- you use that for confirmation if you <laughs> yes. right. if you want to do it. Yes, yeah, there's a lot of very insightful things in the book, lovely. Yeah, wonderful, and thanks, thanks again, Graham. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Are you are you happy to venture into ten cc territory yeah. here, Graham? We um, Paul and I have been waiting a long time, so uh, apologies if um, you feel too many questions. Basically, yeah, just just tell us, just tell us, um, you know, less questions. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, should we do it? Yeah, go for it. Yeah. Welcome back to the Consequences podcast with Paul McNulty and Sean McCreevy. Hello, ladies and gents. Welcome back to the podcast. Paul and I are thrilled to bits uh, to have the pleasure of Graham Gorman with us today. Graham, thank you so much for putting up with us two weeks running. This you must be getting sick of the sight of us now. <laughs> <laughs> like a regular thing, isn't it? It is. No, I've, I've, I've been enjoying it. It's fun. Fabulous, fabulous, and 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 I'm also thrilled to say that. Uh, today, Paul and I are hoping to um, pose some questions that have been buzzing around our minds for a long, 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 long time, uh, because we're going to venture into the world of 10cc. Okay. Oh, by the way, just just to, we should start by saying somebody posted on the Facebook groups yesterday, or a couple of people, I don't know whether you know this, but 45 years ago yesterday, I'm not in love, got to number one in the charts. Yeah. Yeah, oh, you, you, you held a sort of yeah. party, did you? <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> anyway, congratulations. Yeah, congratulations. Yeah. Of course, is like, where did the time go? With, with yeah. Oh, tell us yeah, about yeah. it. Yeah, what, wonderful. So um, if we can cast your mind back then, Graham, to, uh, if you like, the, the, the genesis of, of the band. Uh, and I'm really interested in that moment where the four of you decided to be a band in, in your own right. I'm interested in, in whether that was during the Neil Sedaka sessions. And was it a sudden eureka moment or was it, a um, to, to coin a phrase, a gradual graduation? Mm-hmm. A gradual graduation, yeah, very good. <laughs> um, 
from what I remember of it, and obviously everything is from what I remember of it. Yes. It was after the first Neil Sedaka album. We'd been working together for quite some time. We played on other people's records. We'd put some stuff down for our own amusement that was on the original, the first, the um, 10 TC album, the first album. And I think, I don't know who said it or, but it's the obvious was stated that why don't we do something as a band? Mm. And that's when we started. I think we'd already recorded um, Waterfall, which Eric and I wrote. And then, and because of that, we asked Kevin and Lowell to write the B side, which yeah. was Donna, and the rest is history. So, I would say it was an idea that had probably been bubbling up in our minds, but I think there was a definite decision to that we should be a band. And maybe it was spurred on by doing Waterfall because it sounded like, oh, this is good, you know. Mm -hmm. And, and so I can't give you a date or a specific uh, moment um, or to say with any certainty that it didn't evolve. But my feeling is that there was some conversation like, hey, we could do this. <laughs> we've got everything here. We've got a studio. We've got an in-house engineer. We've got we, we can do everything ourselves. Mm. This would be great. And I remember thinking, this is going to happen. I was always really, really confident about that. I thought there's so much uh, talent between us um, and what we had. It, um, but we were having a great time anyway, so it wasn't like if it not, hadn't have happened, I think we'd have carried on as we were, uh, I don't know for how long. Um, but that's what I remember of it. Sure. Sounds like the biggest no-brainer in the world. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Yeah, sure. back. yeah, you mentioned Waterfall. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful tune. And, and Paul and I, in, in several podcasts, Graham, have, have kind of talked about that really important moment, that kind of nexus, where Waterfall, which is this classy, um, arguably AOR, really, uh, with you know a, a gorgeous vocal, sumptuous, um, and the flip side, literally, is is Donna. Um, talk us through that that if you like, that seismic decision to not put out Waterfall and put out Donna instead, because that took the band in, in a, the opposite direction, didn't it? Yes. Um, as we were recording Donna, we just all felt... It, 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 that was another no-brainer in a way, mm. that, uh, that this was different, even though it was a pastiche. Mm. It was interesting, it was different, but it had that thing that you can't buy, that kind of magic element. Mm. So obviously we recognised its commercial potential as well, and that's why we wanted to go with it. To us, we weren't thinking, 
But we'd better not do that because people will think we're like a pastiche band or any of this or that band. We already knew we could do anything. anything. <laughs> if we wanted to be a country band, we could have been... If we, Anything at all we could do. And the, it's, we have such an eclectic, eclectic mix of styles in our canon, if you like, mm. that it shows you that we can do it. So it wasn't... Um, we weren't at all worried because you think you might have worried and thought, well, we don't want people to think we're like a do-what band or something like that. <laughs> yeah. uh, but there was just something about it. And and the other, I think, important thing about that, um, what happened was that uh, Eric uh, knew Jonathan King mm -hmm. and Jonathan King had started this UK record top. Yeah. Um, so there was never, there was it was funny because there was, a chance that Apple might have put out Waterfall. And that's why we did the B-side. Because I remember I said, let's do a B-side right now because just in case everything kicks off and they go, yeah, we want to put it out in a week. And what are we going to do? So let's do it now. Mm -hmm. So we did Donna. Um, but Eric said, I'm going to get, uh, send this to Jonathan King. And um, so that was a, a good move. It speaks very well of the the optimism and chemistry at that point that you, you neither you or Eric, I guess, were proprietary towards Waterfall. You were perfectly happy to go with Donna because it was, you know, a more commercial song. For a long time, it was whatever's best for the band. It didn't matter yes. who wrote it or sang on it or anything like that. Mm. Uh, it was, this is what's best, you know, for the song. I mean, no one could have sung that Donna like Lol. I mean, Lol was a was a great sort of character singer in a way. Mm. Yes, he always had that and did did it great. Yeah. Perfect. Donna, While we're on very early songs, in Liam's book, he mentions a um, a, a song that predated Waterfall called "Cry All Night" that. He reckons yeah. it's the first song you and Eric wrote. Can you tell us anything about that? Yeah, it was um, it was pretty much the, the first song that Eric and I wrote. I had a lot of it, I think, already um, written. Um, but anyway, but Eric, you know, added to it. She's sitting there by the phone But no one ever calls Another tear falls Down on the pages lying there Oh, but she thought he really cared But now he's gone and told her that he doesn't want to It was just something that I, I had and wasn't finished, I think. Okay. Was it in that uh, CSNY style of waterfall or something it, different? Yeah, it was. It, it was. Okay. Yeah. All right. How interesting. Um, Love to hear that. Yeah. Does it exist, uh, Graham? I think it exists. Better ask Dave then. <laughs> Our friend Dave. I've got my, my hands clasped together here. It's going to keep cropping up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah wonderful. Cry all night. She don't feel right. I'm trying to forget. Sorry, one more thing before we leave those very early days. Do you recall hearing Cry? Because Kevin says that it was written in 1971. I can't imagine that would have escaped attention, or maybe did they bring it to the band? 
I don't remember that because I would have grabbed that. I was just going to say, I thought you would have, yeah. I think they just had, I mean, it really is just one phrase, you know, you know, a great phrase, but that's that's the song, isn't it? But uh, Kevin, for sure, said it was written at that time, but maybe they didn't bring it to the band. I've no idea why. Right. I have no idea. Mm. Right. Yeah, they hid it under a bushel for a long time, didn't they? Yeah, and, what and maybe it was, you know, someone had a greater plan for it to yeah. be used when the technology of the video was going to come out. Who knows? Yes, no, absolutely. Yes, yeah, serendipity, wonderful. Yeah, serendipity, yeah. Here's a question, Graham. that's um, partly inspired by... Um, your dad's uh, wonderful writings that you've sent to us. Um, I'm intrigued by, as legend has it, the original name for the band, Three Yids and a Yock. Um, <laughs> in, in, um, in, your, in your view... Well, that, was, that, that was never a contender. No, no, no of course. <laughs> that, that was our sort of humour, you know. Absolutely. Was Jewishness an important part of the, the culture or the, I don't know, the makeup of the band? Do you feel it was well, important? It was and it wasn't in that there happened to be three Jewish boys in the band, but it would never, it was never in our minds, ever, ever at all. Mm. I think because none of us were that religious anyway. Yes. So there was no, oh, I'm sorry, I can't record on Saturday because it's the, it's the Sabbath, so I'm going to synagogue. There was no, never anything like that. Yes. Yeah, so the answer is no. All right, it? but did it did it manifest itself musically? Do you think? I'm I'm, I'm hearing oh, yeah. the it, end the end must... of roller uh, the the end of iceberg. You know, the life is a roller coaster. To me, that there well, are tinges. The roller coaster, that we are right. Well, is that is that Jewish? Da 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 Oh, I see what you mean. Oh yeah, yeah. good. No, that was a musical decision. It wasn't. Uh, we weren't trying to, um, you know, imitate. Uh, sort of Jewish songs or anything like that. That was just uh, that was just a musical idea. However, you could say, well, I bet if you weren't Jewish, you wouldn't have thought of that. <laughs> it's possible. Who knows? Yeah. Obviously, I think we've talked about this before, that your upbringing informs what you are now anyway. So <laughs> being Jewish or, you know, it's got to affect you, obviously. Of course. Yeah, part of our DNA, like we said before. Yeah, exactly. Sure, sure. Um, I'm fascinated, uh, Graham, looking at the sleeve notes on the 10cc records and looking at the songwriter credits. Now, I'm, right. I'm not sure that you that you wrote in laboratory conditions where it would definitely be just you two or just those two. Um, but it's, it's interesting to me that the godly Cream Gouldman songwriting combination seems to appear quite seldom but it's it's especially prevalent on the first album you know with songs like rubber bullets and and so on so we're really interested to um hear what it was like writing with, with that seminal pair well uh as far as rubber bullets was concerned they'd actually got the verses and the and the chorus but they wanted a middle mm. and they couldn't get a middle and I came up with the middle part of it yeah. and some of the lyrics as well. So that was my involvement. I was like an add-on, uh, in fairness. I wasn't there at the sitting around thinking, oh, I've got this, you know, nothing like that. Oh. 
was cool, he was clear, he was always in command. Yeah, so that, that was how of my involvement with Rubber Bullets. Um, what was the other song? Just remind me of the other songs. That, um, uh, sand, sand in My Face. Sand in My Face, yeah. Yeah. That, that was, um, yeah, that was the three of us. Um, we just wrote like, we write with anything, you know, we sit down and probably Lol and I would have guitars and Kevin wouldn't, would, and just start jamming or doing something and out it came. Yeah, like a 1972 version of Hunt, Huntsman Hall or whatever, with, yeah. with a trio working together. Uh, yeah, I mean, three is, it has worked very, very well, you know. It, yes. Two, I'd no more than three, though. I think that's three is three the, the limit. But even then, we had a, a lot of simpatico with each other. So remember that Kevin and Lol and I had done quite, had been together musically for quite a few years, well before 10CC. So we were kind of, we were connected anyway. For sure. Yeah, From yeah. the JLB days. Heads like hell. Heads like hell. Knees like trees. Knees like trees. 200 pounds. Be a time to bring in, uh, if we made the, the Beach Boys um, connection. I remember, a, 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 I mean, both Sean and I are massive Beach Boys fans. Uh, <laughs> in fact, we probably would have done a podcast on the Beach Boys, but somebody had already done one, so that's why we've, <laughs> uh, we've that, that's why we're doing a 10 cc one um, yeah. in a way. But um, I remember a quote from you. I remember reading at college. Uh, you were talking about the Beach Boys song "Surfs Up." Mm. Um, and I believe you said, I love all their songs or something, but this will always be their magic. I was interested in, does that, does that song in particular resonate with you? And the reason I mentioned that, I think I detect uh, echoes of that song in Fresh Air for My Mama. Mm. You do. Okay, could you tell us about the connection? What, what a lot of the thing is, uh, as a bass player, as well as a guitarist, the bass notes uh, completely alter what you hear, as you know, mm. yeah. right? It, what is an, if you play an E with a D bass, yeah. it's suddenly, an, it's another, you're in another world. Yes. Yeah. Um, and Brian um, had this, ability to do these this is only one element of what he did because he's a bloody oh, genius. yeah but he would do these counterintuitive what you think is like how how the hell is that going to work you know um i mean didn't carol Kay famously in one of the documentaries say i think you've given me the wrong sheet here it's in the wrong key and brian said no that's right you know, <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> carry on <laughs> um so that that there's that element to, to Brian Wilson. There's also these fantastic melodies. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, are just beautiful. beautiful. So, so did you choose particular bass substitutions then on Fresh Air for My Mama that made it? I think I had it in... I, I, for all of 10CC, you know, there was the Beatles, the Beach Boys, uh, Steely Dan, you oh. know, 
another element that we, particularly their sort of studio production value. Yes. Um, we were very aware of. But really what happens is, so that's only a minor part of Fresh Air for My Mama, but I remember when they played it to us, um, one thing, this is slightly off, off, off the subject, but just this is talks about a general, how we cooperated and helped each other. Yeah. There was one part of the song that they only did once. And I said, that part, you've got to repeat it. It's not, <laughs> it's not fair. <laughs> and they, they do that quite a bit. So, mm. you know, we would always, whoever wrote the song would become sort of co-owned by all of us and, and nurtured and looked after and we want to do the best for that song. And whoever's idea it was, the, the writers still remain just the writers as far as royalties were concerned, but we always felt, if you're, you know, if you can help it, let's have it, you know. Yeah, um, fabulous song. And it's a fantastic, um, just a brilliant, brilliant Brilliant song. I love that. It's, it really is. It's it's um yeah. it's beautiful. It's haunting and it's it's sumptuous as well. It's a it, wonderful production. The, the chords that um, that Lol. I assume it was Lol because working with Kevin is quite different because Kevin doesn't play a musical instrument. Hmm. Yeah. But you'll he'll sing along and you'll go and you'll hear the chords like you you know usually what it is. And then they go, no, no, that's not right. Can you make it more, I don't know, try a minor chord there or something? Yes. So he won't know what to say. He won't, he won't go, go, try D minor seventh there or, uh, or yeah. you know, eight suspended or something. He won't do that, but he'll, he'll describe what he wants to hear and then you sort of find it until you go, ah, that's the one. Yeah, that's what I want to hear. Mm -hmm. um, so I would imagine that, that that song is a combination of Lol coming out with what he hears um, and knows the chord that he wants to play because he plays the key plays keyboards and Kevin coming up with stuff and Lol either knowing exactly what he means at the beginning or having to say well that doesn't sound right or, or, or Kevin saying that doesn't sound right change it to something else. Mm -hmm. One sort of great 10cc moment was when Kevin Law played the Dean and I to us. All right. We were just going to ask that. Yeah, exactly. we were, yeah, we, we were literally we were the first poised. In the first people in the world to hear this song. Yeah. <laughs> Outside of Kevin Law. Yeah. And that was like, because that record to me, that song is just, what can I say? It's brilliant. Yeah. I think we're with you on that. I yes. think maybe, I mean, it's hard to say one, but it... I think I've heard you say this before, Graham. It encapsulates everything 10CC is about. It does. And it's completely. Just, it's just a fantastic uh, dynamic, uh, you know, series of melodies that just never let up from start to finish. It is an onslaught. It's like it 10 songs in one yeah. that hang together perfectly. Oh, yeah, yeah. Brilliant. And, and a lot of the arrangement of that you know, was myself and, and Eric and everything, you know, a lot of input from us. So the record that you hear, the song is obviously Kevin Lyle's, and that's the starting point, which inspired these other overdub ideas and arrangements and what to play, like yeah. what bass line to play or what guitar line to play. 
But I, 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 I might mention this. When you've got a good song, it's quite easy to make the record. Yeah. Yeah. It's when the song has some flaw. Yeah. You cannot, whatever you do, it will not make it a better song. Yeah. You can put, you know, the London Symphony Orchestra on it, you know, 20 times. It, if it's not, those notes aren't right or those chords aren't right, it's not, not happening. Or those, that lyric isn't right. Mm-hmm. We're, we're quite fortunate that that song happened to be the one uh, where I think a camera crew came in, I think, to record like a school's educational programme yes. into story. And I suspect... Uh, from what we can see on that footage, it was kind of mocked up. I doubt if you were yeah. actually recording the song then. But nevertheless, you get to hear the backing, and it's got a really quite a strong reggae influence, it sounds like, which is almost, um, uh, you can't really hear that on the finished product, but it's quite an interesting thing. Yeah, particularly on the Raham drum. Yeah, yeah, it's real. Yeah, it becomes submerged in the record, but it's there nonetheless. Really interesting. Yeah. Those those things were uh, you say it was staged. Yeah. You, the 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 director saying like if Eric was behind the board um, while the boys are in the in the studio and you're in the control room, can you move the faders and things? Like that? <laughs> That's exactly what you do not do when someone is already set. It's not good enough for them, you know. Or no. they'd say, put the mic up there so we can see your face. <laughs> <laughs> Nevertheless, even though it's semi it's lovely to have some footage of the four of you in Strawberry Studios. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it's a wonderful record. And mentioning reggae there, Paul, um, one of the things we wanted to ask you, Graham, is that reggae obviously crops up an awful lot, doesn't it, throughout 10cc's canon. Um, I'm interested in that, whether it it was a huge influence on you or Eric or both. I I liked... um... I love, fell in love with Desmond Decker. Mm. Like this, that's one of my favourite records. Yeah. Get up in the morning, stay in Barretta, so that every mouth can be fed. Oh, 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 I just like the sound and the the bounce of it, of, of it, and um, and I've been to Jamaica a few times, um, so I just like the this very different. Uh, different rhythm. Yes. Uh, I mean, it cropped up with prior to 10 CC with with songs like Cricket, you know, that we yeah. did with Pete Harp and Safari. Yeah. yeah so that is, it's, yeah, pro- probably listening to ska music and at home. That's right. And hearing all the clips or tunes on holiday and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I just liked it. Yeah. Mm. Talking of travel, um, it wasn't long before 10CC went out on the road. Yeah. Um, it, it seems that from what Kevin has told us that um, he he didn't really enjoy touring that much. Um, but, no. but but you've you've made a long career uh, out of it, Graham. I guess you you've loved touring. I guess what was it? Yeah. What, what was it like touring with with Ten CC as that that original five piece? It was great. I mean, we, you know, I think probably Eric and I loved it more than Kevin and, and, and Lowell. Although Lowell, you know, I mean, Lowell is still, you know, doing live stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but Kevin, 
during the period that we were working together, not until probably during the, to the towards the end did I feel that Kevin wasn't um, that happy about being on the road. Yeah. Um, but to me, uh, and I think Eric felt the same way. This was like what we strive for, you know, or part of what we'd strive for from being in bands. Eric, of course, already had some success with Wayne Fontana and the Mindbenders and the Mindbenders. Yeah. So, uh, and, and, and he loved it. Um, it was a lot of fun. We did things on the cheap at first. I mean, Kevin and I used to room together and Lola and Eric would, would uh, room together. The main thing I remember about it was the first gig we did in the Isle of Man. I don't know whether you've ever spoken about that. I don't know. It's it's on record as as the first one, but please, please. Yeah, where, where we 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 came out on stage and people started screaming, and we didn't. We, <laughs> we were absolutely like taken aback. We thought we're musicians. We are yeah. coming and we're going to play our songs for you. <laughs> yeah. It was extraordinary. Wow. Extraordinary. Um, we had no idea, uh, but it was, I remember one occasion we were playing in Birmingham and Kevin and I had gone for something to eat and we were in a restaurant that was quite high up in a building and we looked out on the street and there were all these people like going all the way around the block. Hmm. I said, I wonder what that's about. <laughs> I remember saying, they've come to see us. <laughs> wow, you know, like, we didn't, in other words, we weren't aware of how we were going to be received or how sort of popular we were. I suppose this might have something to do with the fact that we were born in the studio and not on the road. Yeah. Yes. Right. Right. Yeah. Fabulous. Was it a major challenge recreating the sound of the records, Graham? Because the productions are so amazing. Well, we had to make lots of compromises, mm. but we knew we couldn't uh, reproduce them the same. You know, we, we went, obviously, we, our, our, the records were, took a long time to make, and we did the best that we could to do it. And of course, having Paul Burgess join us was a big, big uh, advantage because not only was he a great drummer, but he could also, that would allow Kevin to come front of stage and sing. Mm. And also, there were percussion parts or some on some tracks there were actually two drums two kits so uh yeah it was great i think that the best document we have of mark one live i mean there are lots of even some official stuff and lots of unofficial stuff but the um the 1974 bbc in concert mm. uh, program is superb yeah. i mean the, the audience look like they're, for some reason, a bit bored. I don't know why that is. They're kind of, they're a bit reticent. But the, the performances are fantastic. We mentioned Fresh Air for My Mama. That yeah. sounds incredible. Uh, Baron Sandy. And, uh, you know, the, the sound of the uh, of your Rickenbacker bass there is really yeah. cutting through. You sound like John Squire or someone, you know. Yeah, and, you, and you're playing some pretty hot little solos on that one as well. It's marvellous. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> document of the the prowess of the live act yeah um, yeah we were good, we were yeah. good. wonderful um take us back graham to you and eric writing wall street shuffle for me that's like the if you like the first supernova burst of absolute magic 
Do you feel the same way about that song? Uh, yeah, it's a special song, really. Um, I, I think I told you the last time we spoke, we talked about the where did the title come from? Mm. You know, going over Wall Street and then someone saying, I don't know who. Uh, and then, you know, we had this writ, or Eric, I think Eric came up with it, da, 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 and we just built on that. I think, if my memory serves, and it serves me quite well. <laughs> I think that Lol had that bit and we nicked it from him. Okay. But I remember right I remember doing the da 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 Yeah. And then um, I'm trying to think of the parts because normally what would happen is so one of us would come up with one part and then as the back person's playing it or sings it to mm -hmm. you, suddenly go, oh, I know what's going to come next, you know. Howard Hughes, that sounds like your part. I think, actually, that wasn't. Uh, but any any diminished chords of me, I can tell you that. <laughs> it might have been, oh, Howard Hughes, do you want me to make it better? da 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 you big enough? You know, that. That'd be me. So okay. bits and pieces, I can't remember exactly who did what, where, That's but obviously the combination of whatever Eric and I wrote, um, and sometimes one, one of the things with songwriting is that if you're with a partner and he's on a roll, you don't stop him. Okay. You yeah. get your oar in because, oh yeah, I'm getting on this because that's stupid. Mm -hmm. um, right. So there was, you know, sometimes someone would lead, like be the lead kind of writer. Um, not all the time, but some of the time. Sure. So, um, but what I was going to say was, I can't remember. I think that G minor to F F minor part could have been me. I, I say it could have been. It might not have been. You know, so mm -hmm. I might have say definitely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. But it sounds weird enough for it. I mean, it's kind of quite an ugly move, but it obviously worked. Yeah. <laughs> Cracking track. And I know that wind up. That's me. Okay. Yeah. I remember that. Because there's a chord in that. It's like a, a minor six. But yeah. I have the six on the bass. Ah. Uh -huh. On the lower string, so it gives it a different sound than doing a, uh, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah, please do. <laughs> <laughs> um, Here's one I made earlier. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's not the same. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that, it's that altered bass thing again, isn't it? Yeah. It just it gives it mu you get much more weight to a chord if the bass note. It kind of everything gravitates around it, doesn't it? Well, the bass note kind of informs the chord. Yes. Yeah, it changes so, the mood of it, doesn't you, it? You can have a, a B, and then 
then if you had a C sharp bass, it's yeah. So. Yeah, there's I'm not in love. <laughs> yeah, I think the the octave basses the octave bass at the start of the verse of Wall Street Shuffle, that's part of the hook. It really propels that verse along. Oh, you, yeah, you mean it? Don't, don't you, you know, the, uh, at the start of the verse, you get, you're playing octaves on the bass, aren't you? Yeah. Uh, the bass is actually doing the riff. I mean, no, I mean, that, sorry, I meant the next section. You need a yen to make a mark, the way you play oh, oh, it's there. Yeah. yeah, just, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, did I do a lot of that? <laughs> yeah. But no, it really drives it, doesn't it, Paul? I, I'm yeah. with you. It's very, very hooky. You know, those things are all people don't, they hear a song, they don't know it's what's underneath that they might not even be aware of that's actually. Yes. Yeah, and, and no need that they need to be. Aware, but yeah, they don't have to be, you know, musicians. They're, they're hearing the whole thing anyway, subliminally. Yeah. But another to admit We're the worst man in the world But we don't give a Can we ask about The Worst Band in the World, track two Which is a unique Lowell Graham um, Collaboration, how did that yeah. one come? You know um, that Jonathan King Said he saw this uh, Hoarding that said Tennessee's the best band in the world Yes Yeah chose to write a song called The Worst Band in the World. <laughs> okay. Um, so the beginning of it... Um, I think that was Lol. Okay. And then I... And then I did... Or whatever it is, that's not right. But that, yeah. that thing was, was, was me. Um, and lyrically, we just wanted to write about how we felt. Like, mm. we don't care. We're, <laughs> we're terrible. And I, I wrote the part about, I've never seen the roadies, never seen the van. I don't care about all this. Just come with you. Leave it to the roadies. Leave them in the van. Yeah. Yeah. My bit. And then I think Lot wrote, oh, because... We did that part. Fantastic. Yeah. So it was a very original sounding because we had the bass going. I was playing the bass like a guitar, like just with fifths. Oh, power chords. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, and that was going through like a slap e echo, like a repeat, like bub up echo. Yeah. Because of that right. um, And we had um, Kevin. Playing his Levi's. Oh, right. Ah. Okay. Didn't know that. Yeah, that's yeah. on it. So, this, and it's a very, uh, it's a strange, interesting record. I love it. Jonathan King's favourite, of course. When we, did, when we did the, did you, did you say you saw the sheet music? Uh, no, no, I really wish we had. Uh, yeah, because well, we did it. We we did the album in in order. Yeah, I mean, it's such a wonderful record, Graham. It's it's definitely our favourite. What makes it so special and magical? Do you think? As an You're album? talking about cheap, cheap music, yeah. 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 
Oh, you're talking about the album? Yeah. I yes. We were like, we can do this. This, We were, we were probably at our most powerful uh, and united as well. Mm. We'd done um, the 10cc album, the first album, which was made up of bits and pieces that we'd already written. And I love that album. I mean, the hospital song is genius <laughs> to me. I love it. Um, it has one of the best couplets in it of all time, which you, um, nobody brings me something, nobody brings me Birthday flowers. When, when sister brings a bad pan round, I'll piss like April shower. <laughs> musical thing. Um, right, I uh, love it. Um, uh, yeah, so I think we'd had some success and we were going to make like a great album. And I think we did. Oh, you certainly did, yeah. Um, and just ask, sheet music known for its wonderful harmonies, of course, can just ask a sort of technical question about how you handled harmonies. We asked Kevin this question and we got this sort, I guess, the sort of answer we might have expected. He said, we didn't think, we just did. But yeah. but the arrangement... What happened was, because, like, Lol and Eric had higher voices. Right. And I had lower voices. Yeah. Mm. Middle to low, and Kevin and Lowell, uh, Eric and Lowell were, were more middle to high. So we got it covered. But, and so Kevin's right. We did. We if you're if I'm singing with somebody, yeah. If I'm writing with somebody, I just go to it. Mm. I, I know. Right. But, but those songs, are, the harmonies are so. Where you're talking about a four-part stack or something, you can't do that just on the hoof. Surely you had to come away, sit, sit and no. write it down. And yeah, you're right. I'm talking about the natural basic harmony. But if you go, I think we should do it now, like just do the the fifth or or something that's odd. Mm-hmm. Yes, not the fifth necessarily. Then we would work it out with the guitar, right. and quite often it would be so unusual. Yes, I'd. I remember when I was doing it, I'd had the guitar with me. Yes. So I'd go... And then sing that part, whatever it is. Yeah. Because it was totally natural. But then you can listen to it and go, wow, that's great. Yeah, we're aware of that that thing where you're trying to get the note and then you punch out just so you don't hear the piano note that you're striking. Yeah. You've got to, like, <laughs> uh, did you sing? Did you sing your harmonies around one mic, Graham, or, or did you record them separately? We did some things around one mic. Like um, I remember with the Life as a Minestrone at the end of that, we were all around one mic. Mm. Yes. I think a lot of the time we did, and I think that's adds to the sound in a way that that we did it around one mark. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of things were done separately, so it didn't make any difference. That it was one mark. But sometimes we did do harmonies, 
you know, sing at the same time round, and it would be one mic. And another thing that you seemed to do at that point, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, was work on one track on its own to completion and then move on to the next track. Correct. Which yeah. I don't know whether you realise this, that's what ABBA did as well during their kind of purple patch. They worked on one song to completion and then moved on to the next one. And I think you can almost see that because the the attention to detail and the focus is so strong. And then and then you move, you know, rather than having a number of tracks working yeah, on I don't know why you would not do it that way. Hmm. Uh, Other than, say, like if you had a percussionist, say, coming in to do yeah. some percussion, you'd say... Yeah. Down this track, and now we'll give you another track to play on, or like bring someone outside. But for me, so your whole world, musical world, came focused on that one song. Yeah, it seems obvious, but I don't know whether most people work that way. It just—it's a really good way to work. Mm. Do you still work like that, Graham? Definitely, yeah. Okay, interesting. Want to be just think about one thing until it's finished, and then I can move on. Okay. And it's obviously worked. So, you know, why why fix what isn't broken? <laughs> I just like it working that way. Fantastic. And speaking of vocals, uh, uh, again, um, Paul came up with a, a, a nice question. I like this one, Paul. I'm going to nick it off you because it's so good. Um, which 10cc songs did you um, want to sing lead on but 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 couldn't or, or didn't end up singing them? I think I could have sung Baron Samaday, which okay. I do in the... With the with, now, I've got I can do it now because I yeah. said, I'll show you men who walk on fire and don't get burned. I'll show you men who tread on glass and don't get cut. Don't get cut. Don't get cut. There was a song, well, lying here with you, I sang originally, but I actually said to Eric, you know, I think your voice would, would be better to this. Um, and I think he sang it really. Really beautifully. Yes. There's not that many, but I remember with Dreadlock Holiday, if memory serves, and everything's as if memory serves, but I was going to sing that. I knew I would get that. Mm. And I, but I think Eric wanted to try it. I said, <laughs> or words to that effect. Yeah. <laughs> I was walking down the street, concentrating on truck and right. I heard a dark voice beside of me And I looked round in a state of fright Yeah, you must have had a feeling that one was going to be a big song, so you... Uh, it, it wasn't that. It wasn't that at all. It was that I knew my voice would suit it. Okay. Because the way we, when we'd been writing it, I'd been singing, you know, a lot of it, obviously, and uh, so I knew that was going to be... Okay. Yeah, and it must it must have been special, Graham, uh, singing lead vocal on a number one single. That must have been re- a really incredible feeling. Very nice. Yeah, I mean the irony of Ten CC is for me the person with the most beautiful voice, which is uh, Kevin, mm. never sang on. I don't think um, on a single well, number one records because well, there was only three. Um, yeah. We well just we. In a, in a podcast recently, we did Cry, and we sort yeah. of noted that it was nice. I know it wasn't a number one, but Cry is really kind of Godly and Cream's signature song. Mm. So it's nice that Kevin is now known on a standard, if you like. So oh, that- yeah. I mean, his, his voice is, I love his voice. I think he's just got like one of the greatest sort of soulful vo- 
voices. Yeah, I agree. We, totally. Yeah, we, we're totally with yeah. you, Graham. You know, yeah. Wonderful. Paul, you were going to ask about some interesting B-sides, weren't you, that we love? Oh, yeah. Well, Channel Swimmer, which is one of my favourite tracks of all time, which yeah. is you, you and Kevin, I believe. Were you, I mean, it's not on original, the original soundtrack. Were you upset that was booted off? Because for my money, with the, literally with a possible exception of, possible exception, I'm saying, of I'm Not In Love, that is the best song from that batch of songs. It's fantastic. Well, I need see me swim and see me float. No, I think it's great. I don't remember any sort of discussion about whether it should be on or or, or not on. Um, we were doing so much stuff. It was like, oh yeah, it's, it's another track. We didn't, we weren't conscious of like going. This is a gem or anything. It was just okay. another track. Okay. But it's a, it's a nice song. It it is. Yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah. And we like it. We love Gizmo My Way as well. Oh, yeah. Beautiful melody on that. That's right. That was, I think that was my title because My Way was a big hit. Yes. And it was a kind of a, a piss take of the title, you know, yeah. using the title Gizmo My Way. Um, and just a, just a nice little waltz, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, but again, beautiful. It was lovely guitar work between the gizmo and Eric playing uh, some very nice stuff indeed. Tell us about the, the gizmo in the studio, Graham. Did, um, I'm, I'm in love with the, the instrument. I think it's wonderful. Um, <laughs> was it a temperamental beast to work with on those sessions? Well, you know it is. <laughs> it works best with a, a million-pound studio. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is, but uh, it's unique, I think. I don't know anything else that sounds quite like it. Mm. Um, it, it does benefit from being trapped, as you probably know, and uh, having you know certain amount of like reverberation or echo on it, 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 it likes that. But uh, we loved it because it was ours, yes. and uh, I remember Kevin Lowell invented it. You know, it was another string to our <laughs> quite literally, <laughs> yes, <Right>. literally. <laughs> but here was the sound that nobody else had. Okay, so since I think we're starting like polymoods uh, yeah. were around. But here was something that no one had it, and, and that was brilliant. And we used it to, like old wild men, it features in beautifully. And yeah. people go, what the hell is that? Mm. Mm. Yeah, different. It's an extraordinary so, sound. I love working with it, and, um, and I, I, well, I've got one, as you know, and yes. you've got one too, uh, Sean, yeah. And I, I love it. And Graham, who I work with, absolutely, like, he put it on everything if he's that like <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm with him. <laughs> Even as a, a subliminal sound, it's very, very, uh, it's very good. Yes. Yeah, like you've used it on the new album. Yeah. In, in a very, very subtle way. Very subtle way, yeah. Yeah, yeah. use it. Um, sure. And a, a little bit later, hopefully, Graham, if we have time, uh, I'm dying to ask you a little bit about 
consequences, but we'll we'll, we'll come on to that in in a bit. Um, I'd love to hear about the uh, the process of putting Sacroiliac and Iceberg together. You know, working with Kevin. You know, whether yeah. you both had ideas kind of formed separately before you came together, or or whether you literally sat in a room and and concocted those wonderful things. I'd love to hear you playing some of the chords from Iceberg because I find them impenetrable. It's wonderful stuff. I haven't not played that for a long time. <laughs> yeah. I have to go and practice. We wrote those songs, just wrote them, sat in a room and, and played them. I knew with Kevin that I could sort of do anything chord-wise. And he, it was like, I think we were trying to, like, the madder the better. Um, <laughs> Iceberg has some great um, melodies in it, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, and wonderful chords. I was an open and I couldn't help it. I've been in and out of trouble ever since I left me in a basket on the freeway. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm trying to think of it, but um, I don't hold your breath on me rem remembering it. Yeah. Those lovely jazzy progressions. It was all darkness and light, in a way, that track, in that. Yeah, this very da 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 But was it was it all written in one sitting? Well, that melody I probably just came out of my head, you know. Just yeah. I, I don't know whether it was actually. I remember with Sacroiliac was one. We, there was a rush to get that done for the for the album. Okay. And we I remember where we wrote it as well. Was when I, I used to live near uh, Rochdale. Um, and we wrote it. I remember. I can see us sitting in the in the living room writing it. Mm. Um, so there were, yeah, that, that's what I remember about that. Um, I don't know if I can remember the. <laughs> and then there's just some weird stuff I, I definitely can't remember. I, I got the gist of it. Fantastic, yeah. fantastic. Oh, it, was always, it was always quite a lot of fun um, writing with Kevin. And I remember with Iceberg, we had this lyric, which I'm not going to repeat to you, <laughs> but Kevin, uh, but Eric and Lol refused to allow it. So we changed it. They were quite adamant. It was disgusting. So yes. were you okay with the handbag line? Were, were you and Kevin kind of, you know, 50% of the band wanted the handbag line in it, but the other two didn't. did. about the handbag line? How do you know about the handbag uh, line? Oh, Kevin told us. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Actually, actually yeah. I think he... I think, I, think, uh, I think it might have been a bit... Might have gone a bit too far there. Yeah, I think so too, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It's, it's, it's so Kevin, isn't it? it? Well, it's 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 in his autobiography, I think. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, it's yeah public it's property. There, yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, fabulous, fabulous. Um, can we move on to um, the original soundtrack LP? Paul, you had an interesting question, I think, about I'm Not In Love. 
and the acoustics of that one. Oh, we'll do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the, the famous uh, the guide backing track that you've said that it was going to be taken away and left just vocals, but it sounded so great that you kept it uh, with just the Rhodes, the Moog bass drum, and I think you playing Eric's Gibson guitar on the yeah. track. The rhythm, yeah. Yeah. yeah that's almost um, the sound of that guitar. Uh, it seems to have all the the mid frequencies taken out. It's like paper thin. It's almost like a percussive sound. Yeah, it almost sounds acoustic sometimes. To me. Yes. yes, more. It's almost like a. An, a yes, you're right. It has a percussive quality, um, um, but just the way it was. I mean, we went uh, from what I remember when we put down that track as as the idea, as, it, as you've said, was that it would come off. Uh, so we just. Play and yeah, just we played it together mm. as well. Um, so there was no overdub on that, no overdubs on that original uh, three instruments. That's amazing. How could you know? You, so you that was a guide, and you just relaxed your way through it, not knowing that that would become the bedrock of like one of the iconic records yeah. of the time, almost. Yeah. Yeah. You know what you're doing anyway. So sure. of course, of course. But what you suddenly think. I am playing the rhythm guitar on a record yes. that's going to be played and played for generations. And who's going to say that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you're going to you're going to climb up. You're going to climb up if you think that as well. Yeah. What, what I what I was going to ask about just specifically about that guitar sound. It seems to me that that from that point you used that kind of. Uh, sound quite a lot on acoustic guitars in later records where the frequencies were taken off so it took up less of the kind of sound spectrum i wonder whether that was inspired by that 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 uh, track or not no okay <laughs> so anything to do with an acoustic guitar i mean with a real acoustic guitar um you know that was eric's department and he would eq it as he Sort of fit. I mean, yes. when I, because he was engineering things, obviously, if we, we'd come in and go, I don't like the sound of that, it's too bright, or yeah. and then it would be changed. But all the basic sounds, um, were down to Eric. That's right, okay. and, and you're right, Paul. He did, he did uh, reuse that kind of sound. I, I'm thinking of the intro to Feel the Benefit, where you've got that lovely, thin, uh, bright oh. guitar sound on his electric. I think that's me playing a Telecaster. Right, okay. okay. Yeah, it's a wonderful sound, and it cuts through. And I think with I'm Not In Love, because you've got all the frequencies, haven't you, there as white noise, uh, as that wonderful backing. I guess the other instruments need to occupy very thin frequencies, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, you know... Um when you're mixing a track, it's not just a matter of having a good bass sound, a good drum sound, a good this or that. You know, they, they have to live together in the in the picture Definitely. and occupy their own own space. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, Eric was really on fire. I mean, the, the original soundtrack album, but wonderful production. And we're obviously massive fans of, of uh, many of the tracks on there particularly for me, Minestrone and One Night in Paris. What, yeah, what, uh, tracks, what tracks on that album, apart from I'm Not In Love, Graham, do you particularly admire? I think One Night in Paris is magnificent. Mm. It, was, it was great to record it. I, I love it because it's quite minimal. Um, there's not a lot on it. Yeah. 
That's why it's so magnificent, just the concept of, of it as well, the, the humour of it, the drama of it as well, the drama. Is he going to buy? Is he going to pay? Or is he going to fall in love the all-American way? Is he gonna buy? Oh, forget the watch, I'll show you a good time. Is he gonna pay? Look on the sill, like something. Or is he gonna fall in love the all-American way? It's so visual, uh, isn't it? So visual, and uh, trying to imitate a Paris street in Stockport, you know, yeah. was so much, so much fun to do that with the milk bottle. I remember the steps out. Yeah. The hallway or stairs that went up to the next floor outside our studio door. Um, and just a, a great song. Uh, we, there was talk of it occupying one side um, of the album. Eric and I felt it was too long. It was too much. So it was, it was cut down somewhat. Do you, do you recall any of those bits that were excised from the 20-minute version at all? No, I don't think. I think it was a matter of it just went on too long. Ah, uh, right. So we, this was an example of us acting as uh, editors for each other. Yeah. Arranging for each other, knowing instinctively it's just too much. Enough, because you're going to ruin it. People are going to get bored and they'll miss they might not come back to it and they'll miss it. It's a shame. And, you know, we listened to one another. You know, we respected each other's uh, opinions. Sure. Absolutely. That was one of our strengths um, that we did that. Well, yes, uh, One Night in Paris and I'm Not in Love are both brilliant exemplars of that aren't they mm. absolutely yeah film of my love graham yeah <laughs> um i mean some some people unfairly say uh, that you were given the ringo job on that one I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm which is unfair um i'm i'm fond of it i have to say um give us your thoughts i bet it was a lot of fun to record wasn't it a lot of fun you know i i don't i i never got the ringo thing um but <laughs> It was, it, for me, it is not the greatest song in, in the world, but I loved the lyric of it, you know, a long shot of yours, a close-up of mine, <laughs> superimposed forever. Um, and we used to do it on stage as well. Yes. Um, I bought a, like a sort of, uh, what's a, like a jacket, like a sequin jacket, I think, and I tried <laughs> to get a diamond into my tooth, like, but I could, or put it on so it would... So shine <laughs> on the... <laughs> but it, it, it never, we never did it because it kept falling out. <laughs> so just a lot of fun, really. Yeah. I hope you're going to join with me as I sing the film of my love. Thank you very much. Hit it, Kevin. <laughs> you raving puffer. Co-starring you and co-starring me and starring us both together song but in the mix a very complimentary to the album because it was blimey these guys said I'm not in love and the film of my love and one night in Paris and, and the other stuff you know it's sure, sure. very, very uh, different 
so eclectic. Yeah, yeah. And uh, just a Mickey tote, really. Mm, mm. <laughs> Moving on to, to the last of the four albums by the original lineup, uh, Graham, with How Dare You, which I, I love as an album, I have to say. Did the, the sessions for How Dare You feel different to you? At what point did you kind of feel that the split was inevitable? On that album, mm. that album, I felt the the clouds were on the horizon. Mm. And Lowell had expressed a bit of frustration about, oh, blimey, another album, another tour, more rehearsals. It was like, whereas Eric and I were going, that's right. Yeah. Right. It's great. They were going, mm-hmm. and also, I think consequences was uh, uh, in their minds because of the gizmo. Mm-hmm. Wanted to do something that featured the gizmo um, a lot more, more than we use it in Ten CC. We would use it like any overdubbing anything. Not just because we've got a new toy. We're not going to put it over everything. We're going to go. Only use it because it suits this particular, this is the right place to use it. Yep. So I felt it on the album, and um, I think we all felt it. Um, and, that, and that was the, the last thing, last album we did. Sure. Did it spoil the experience of recording the album, Graham? Do you look back at it kind of less than fondly because of that? There's a little cloud over it, I think. I mean, I think the album's great. I think everything we did had. There was so much musicality and originality in, in, in what we did then because we encouraged each other to do it, whereas I might go, oh, I don't think that's a bit, you know, that's it's a bit weird, isn't it, to do it? <laughs> yeah. Or the phrase, you can't do that, wouldn't be allowed. <laughs> <laughs> I'll cast a giant shadow in the face of the deep, There was nothing you weren't allowed to do. Mm. You could do it and fail, if you like, you know. Yes. But that was also one of the the ethoses of the band and the the fact that we encouraged each other and were good critics of each other, respected each other's opinions, um, served the song only. That was Song is King and still is, obviously. Yeah. All these uh, taking... Uh, as much of a responsibility for the song as the writers was, and it, all these things went towards. Besides us having the coming up with the goods and knowing how to make good sounding records and playing well and everything else, all these things made made Ten CC what they were. Absolutely, and uh, the album runs the gamut for me. But between the experimental, the, the quirky, the wacky, and and the super beautiful commercial stuff. I mean, Paul and I both think that Amanda Flymey's the highlight of that record. An absolutely marvellous yes. piece of work. Paul's got, a, Paul's got a special request for you, Graham. Do I? Oh, oh yes. Well, we, uh, <laughs> on, on the Songstripper podcast, um, it really astounded me when you played, you know, the, 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 the podcast with Phil, Phil Fornelli you did a couple of months ago. 
um, you played the opening or some of the opening to I'm Mandy and that second chord hmm. blew me away because it didn't sound on the guitar or anything like the record. I think it's the, uh, it's a B flat six, but it's not a B flat six. Yeah, because I'm using my, um, I'm using my. Please show us that one because that was. There you go. Yeah. Cool. So it's not. Yes. It's. Yeah. Da, da, da. Other sorts in the. Yeah, it sort of opens up a whole new world of possibilities. You've got to be able to play, you know, if you if you if you only do that sort of shapes, you know, like got a bar, bar, bar chord, yeah, yeah, yeah. You could, but if you if you play, you have to do it with your thumb, right? And for, right. Our, for our listeners, you, you're curling your thumb over the uh, is that the, the, uh, a the, string, the F string? Yeah, so you're playing on an F th- and a B flat then on the bass there. The first fret. Yeah. That's such an unusual sound. I've used that chord of quite a bit. Thank you. It's wonderful. Just like a rolling stone I'm outside looking in Fabulous. And um, following on from How Dare You, uh, Graham, and, and, and the split there, um, you know, we're, Paul and I, obviously, the past year and a year and a bit, we've been piecing together bits of history, reading both Kevin and Eric's books. Is it right that you were kind of part of the initial Consequences team, and it was it was going to be a, a, th- a three man team to to record that project? I don't think it was going to be a three man team. I think Kevin and I wanted me to play on the album. Hmm. Okay, um, and I I remember doing some stuff right at the beginning. Their sessions would start at sort of 10 at night and go until 6 in the morning. <laughs> mm. I didn't like that at all. Mm. Um, and I just sort of eventually sort of drifted away from it, really. Um, I can't remember anything specific like or any conversation. I, but, sure. but I did do something, and I can't remember, I can't remember what it was. Is it possible you're on the finished record then? I'd have to listen to the record. Right, uh, and that would that would take us two hours, so we won't do it right now. <laughs> to do other, some other stuff this week. Uh, yes, exactly. But, um, okay. Yeah, so it's it's possible I might be. In, I'd, I'd have to ask Kevin, I suppose. Uh, he might remember. Sure. What? what um, leaving aside the the emotional uh, side of, of of hearing consequences at that time, what what do you think of it musically? I think it's it has Kevin Lyle's genius, uh, but could have been a a better record had it have been shorter. Right. Mm-hmm. There's some great things on it, uh, great sounds, uh, great performances. Peter Cook, uh, um, Sarah Vaughan's on it, doesn't she? Yeah. Yes, she sings last weekend with Kev. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and it could have been a great, maybe even double album tops, but a triple album is probably its downfall. I think it's. Too daunting. Mm. Mm. It, it's daunting for uh, anybody. I think <laughs> it, it's like 
there's something about 40 minutes ish mm. that works yeah whether we're just used to that because of the constraints of what was originally vinyl but now we could have hours and hours and hours of it but who <laughs> who would want that sure well us yes <laughs> you're a different animal yes very much so Uh, possibly an awkward question, Graham, but it's not meant in an awkward way. Um, uh, have you read Eric's book? I have not. Okay. Not, and I've, I've, uh, all I'll say is I think Eric has a, a different way of remembering things. Mm. Um, so uh, and that's, that's the reason. I, I, don't, I don't need that. But um, no, that's all I'm going to say on that. Okay, no, I, we totally respect that. Totally respect yeah. that. And on a on a much more positive footing, tell us about the the feeling in your stomach when you launched into the Deceptive Bends project. That must have been scary and exciting at the same time. <laughs> It was scary, yeah, both, I guess, and we were on a mission, I think, to prove that we could not be as good as we were, because we couldn't have been. It, it, was, it was different, but still produce something that was special, and, oh, and I think we did. I think we did some really... I love Deceptive Bends, I think, and, and I, love, um, I love Bloody Taurus as well, in the main. Um, but Deceptive Bends, I think we were both on a mission and I think we pulled it off, but it was different because we didn't have, we lost half the team. It wasn't as if just one guy who didn't do very much had left or you know, two guys who didn't do very much had left. This was 50% of the team had gone. So it was, it was bound to be different. And, but I think we'd, our time working with Kevin Lowell, we, we kind of used to our advantage in a way of being a bit more experimental. Maybe not as experimental. It was a bit, maybe a bit more poppy. But, and maybe, who knows what would have happened if like things, we'd have presented things we did for love, say, mm. to Kevin Lowell, Good Morning Judge. In fact, Good Morning Judge, I think we did have before we started that yeah. album. Didn't, didn't you play it at Nebworth when you did yes. it? Yes. Did yeah. you play it? Yeah. yeah. I, I, that's, what, that's what I was thinking of, yeah. I believe you did present uh, the things we do for love to Kevin and Lol, and they, they didn't like it at all. That's, that's what we hear, um, you know, short before the split. I know our, our late manager, Rick Dixon, played it to... Kevin, and from what he said, he expressed his <laughs> with it. Yes. <laughs> I mean, uh, but for, for, it boggles the mind from this point of view because it's like a quintessential pop classic. But <clears throat> I guess had it been a couple of years ago, maybe Kevin would have looked at it differently and looked to imbue it with something different like he did with I'm Not In Love, but maybe it was too far along the line by then. I don't know. I don't know, but sure. you know, um, we've gone through this 
almost like a divorce, a, a process where everyone was trying to keep the partnership together. Um, and you know, I don't know whether I've mentioned this before, but this is this subject is something that Kevin and I have spoken about a lot about what we what we should have done, what we could have done, which mm-hmm. would have been great, which was that say to Kevin, I'll go and do the consequences yeah. album. Let's reconvene in a year and maybe we'll do some other stuff, you know, and come yeah. back together. But we didn't do that. There was too much, I don't know, animosity or it was, and it, it, it was a shame that, that that didn't happen. I'm sure that could have worked. And that's my big regret as far as the band is concerned, that that, that didn't happen. Sure, if you look guarantees about what would happen, but I think we could have been producing stuff that would still be great to this day. Yeah, I mean, Ro- Roxy Music were on a similar sort of timeline, and they they did take a couple of years off and came back, yeah, stronger than ever. That's so right. it, it, yeah. that's just one example. It's- I think also, but I must add this other element though, that Kevin and Lowell were fed up with the the constant um, cycle of the writing, recording, rehearsing, going on the road, promotion. Mm-hmm. All that. Right. It didn't suit them. That it wasn't exciting for them anymore. That been there, done that. You know, for them. Whereas for me and Eric, it was this is exactly what we want to do. Of course, and and borne out by the fact that Kevin and Lowell were true to their word in that they never played live again. They didn't. Well, not yes, not to their. I mean, Lowell has played live, but not. But, but as a, as, not a, as, as a duo, they yeah. never did, did they? No, as a duo, no. Yeah, mm. but they did. You know, you could say if they'd have stayed with the band, maybe they wouldn't have started doing videos or sure came like MTV, like the Godfathers of MTV in a way. Yes, yeah. very much stuff. so. Yeah. It's a very nice positive slant you put on it. Absolutely, there. And, and sometimes things are meant to be, aren't they? What can we do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah I, I was reminded there, Graham, when you're talking about those those songs the kind of transition songs that were kind of hanging around um, just before Kevin and Lol flew the nest. We've got things like Good Morning Judge, um, mm. Things We Do For Love and People In Love. Um, I think we probably told you um, before that um, we've come across, or rather our friend Peter Wadsworth has come across, uh, the original 16-track tape of what might be the very last recording that the four-piece did. And that's an ad for Revlon. Do you have any memories of that? Uh, I, no, I haven't. I'd love to hear it. Well, hopefully you will. If we can bake it to the right temperature and and it's not all stuck together, um, we're going to try and unearth it literally and, and remix it, Graham. I would love to hear that. We, we'll, we'll, we'll certainly send you... We've got the track sheet. Um, it looks like a full recording. I think it was made in July '76 which we think makes it possibly the final recording by the foursome. And it's got, it's got an intrig- it's got the usual kind of, you know, instrument breakdown on the track. And then it's intriguing thing where it says Kev voiceover, but we don't know what that could be in terms of it's an ad. It was an advert for natural wonder eyeliner. We know that. Much about it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Oh, 
version of People in Love with Kevin Long. Yes. Yes, yeah, we've, we've, we've heard that. Yeah, it's strange, yeah. isn't it? We well, did, did our separate bits. Yes. Um, Again, that, what an incredible idea that I'm sure a couple of years ago, a couple of years prior, would surely have worked brilliantly. So as we understand it, you did like six tracks each or something on the 24 track machine with a cut with a time marker and then and then join them together is that right yeah and it was it didn't work <laughs> yeah, but it's, a, it's still conceptually it's a fantastic idea it, is. it could have worked but it didn't happen yeah sure, sure. Uh, we would have done it but that was really i think people in love was people some people have said you should do that in the set i've never really liked it it's too simpering for me I don't know what it is and it's got some there's a middle part that musically I go I don't know why we allowed that okay. so I'm, I'm not fond of that that song and and probably I'm not fond of its association with that particular time with it being sure uh, it with the with the split with Kevin Lowell, even though we Eric and I did go on to record it yeah, and and it was only. Chording, by the way, the second chord is that minor six. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Mm. Right. Interested to hear what you thought of the um, inside pop documentary that, that I sent you, the uh, David Oppenheimer thing. I've seen some of that footage, but not all of it. Right. Uh, I mean, what I'm talking about, yeah. Graham Nash yeah. is on one, isn't he? He's, He's getting very het up about the possibility of youth it, and everything. Yeah, very youthful and naive, and I think there might have been alcohol involved. I just got a feeling. I mean, my parents probably would think the idea of going to the moon was absolutely preposterous, but to us, it's like it's going to happen tomorrow. We it's might commonplace. Be going to, it's commonplace. Therefore, your own mind is broadened. Yeah, but why, Graham? Why is why is your mind much broader than your father's? I'm not saying because the things around me, because things that were impossible to my father are so are ha going to happen today and tomorrow. You've got to. Have, you got uh, uh, definitely. <laughs> P P Peter Noon seems really like the voice of reason there. You know, it's an it's a really interesting conversation. Um, this was part of a um, a tour that uh, that was the Hollies and Herman's Hermits, and we had our um, plane and everything, and it was it was great. Um, and yeah. I just tagged along. Um, yeah. really that was cool. Did you see the footage? Um, the footage of both bus stop and East West, and um, did you watch that bit? I watched the East West. Yeah, I love the bit where the, the girls, mouth, the, the young girl in the audience, mouthing the lyrics. That must be a great feeling because it wasn't even, well, was that a hit in the States for Herman's Hermits? Maybe it was. I think, I'm not... it was, I think uh, maybe their albums did well and it was on, on an album. Or, the, you know, maybe the girls at that point, like the fans just went mad for the band and learned everything, every word of every song they ever recorded, maybe. Yeah, it's, it's a really, really good... Um, timepiece that whole documentary um it's of were you aware of it at the time because it was quite infamous in that it had brian wilson's debut performance of surse up you know five years before the record came out i, I didn't know that until um you know you, you you said that mentioned that um 
I didn't know about the programme at all. So thank you. Let's have everyone clap. Clapping! Above your heads so I can see them. I love hearing about how, you know, in those days it was true, how yeah. just love, uh, no wars and everything else. I mean, it still holds true, but... Yes, yes. The, the uh, sort of naivety of it, but yeah, we should still strive for it, you know, the whole piece yeah. of that's right. There's a certain sense of naivety, but it's quite endearing. Coming, um, yeah. The other thing about the Beach Boys there was that um, the camera crew actually recorded a lot of the smile sessions, but they ditched the tapes, unfortunately. So the you know the Beach Boys in the in the studio recording wonderful and and surfs up. I think not just Brian, but the whole band. But that footage has been lost, sadly. Yeah. Um, what a I know, I know. It would have, would have been, would have been a, a great thing to see. But, was uh, that with the with the, the uh, wrecking crew on that? Yeah, 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 that's right. Hal Blaine and Carol Kay and Lyle Ritz. You know those those amazing players. But, um, right, I love those guys. Didn't Larry Nettle, I remember all the names: Joe Osborne and Carol Kay. Um, yeah. Timmy Tedesco, uh, someone Tedesco. Tommy Tedesco, Tom, I think. Tommy, that's right. Did you ever play with any of those guys when you were in the States at all? Not that I remember, no. Right. I mean, I did, when I did the Animal Olympic sessions at um, A&M Studios. Yeah. The orchestrations, what was his name now? Jimmy Haskell, wasn't it? Jimmy Haskell, right. It was great. Lovely arrangements. Yeah. Other guys there, like Leyland Sklar, played bass on some of the stuff. Oh, really? Um, Yeah. I'm sure there were some, I wouldn't have known, but, they, you know, the, um, Jimmy said he's got, he's getting, like, the best guys uh, in, and, and they, were, they were great. I loved it. Yeah, I mean, I uh, would like to go into some detail, maybe not this time, but about Animal Olympics, which I think is a, a brilliant record. Um, I, well, I may as well ask now. We can always... Uh, that was one where I think it was a director, Stephen Lisberger, Yes, and I believe he. I believe he said something like he gave you templates for songs. Did he? I want this kind of song here, that kind of song there. I, I actually asked him. I said there was sort of so many points, like ten or eleven points in the in the movie where he, he wanted a, he wanted. So I said, if you could have any song that exists now, what would it right. be? Right. He said I, I would have the Who or something like that. So I would. That would give me a... a yeah, I think that's... A bit like bionic bore. Well, the word bionic suddenly meant something machine-like. And this yes. was in the early days of synths and sequences. So even though that's a very basic, simple little mm. thing, um, I got clues from that. And, and uh, in a way, my job as writing the songs was made easier because you looked at the storyline and looked at the characters and... The, the Rene Fromage, the marathon runner, yeah. who, you know, I thought about running away from love. And, mm. you know, you can't get into any relationships. I mean, it was easy to write. Uh, well, you say that, but, um, yeah, it's, it's a great selection of, of, of songs. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of We've Made It to the Top. Yeah, I like that as well. I think the chorus on that is just... Yeah, yeah. Really, uh, yeah. Great. And that was recorded... So 
the, uh, Stuart Tosh is on that. Um, uh, who else did backing vocals with me? I think, uh, I couldn't remember without the, the credits are on the album there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed making it. It was, it was a good time for me. I'd just broken up with somebody and mm. I'd sort of concentrated everything into doing that work. And I was working with, with Paul, with Rick, Rick Fenn, um, I think Duncan Mackay was on it. Yes, uh, he plays uh, all everything on uh, Bionic Ball, for example. I think. Yeah, that's yes. Um, so it was it was fun. It was a good vibe, good atmosphere. Mm. Yeah, it comes comes across. The vibe really does. is the vibe is up on that album. It's it's, yes. it's really really great. Yeah. Um, you were talking earlier, Graham, about Bloody Taurus, and you were saying that you, you mostly really like it. What, 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 what do you think are its highlights and lowlights in that case? Um, I'd, have to, um, I'd have to look at the track list then. Can you give me one sec? Yeah. yeah, sure. Or I can show you the album sleeve. OK. The world is full of other people Okay, yeah, okay, so Dreadnought Holiday is great. For you and I, I love, I think that was... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah that, that beautiful. That was I started off on the, playing the piano and I can't play the piano. Ah, It's that is a the it's a brilliant production as yeah. well. I mean, yeah, yeah it's very good. Um, right, okay, yeah. So for you and I, take these chains. I liked um, I like the acoustic guitar on that. The, the sort of sound of it is really nice. Yes. Um, shock on the tube. I didn't. <laughs> Wasn't I must I think that's a fantastic I think that's the best Eric Stewart solo song ever. I've had well, a lot of an Eric song, isn't it? What, um, what, yeah. what, what didn't grab you about it, Graham, out of interest? I, I like that one as well, I have to say. I don't know. Um I think it was maybe something about the lyrics. I'm trying to remember that something about girl, girl on the tube and, and he's he, having a fantasy. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that is I, I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Last night, that was me and Rick Fenn. I, right. I thought it was really nice. Um, Reds in my bed, I liked. That is Stuart Tosh and Eric, I think. It is, yeah, writing-wise, yeah. Lifeline is me, and that was a very personal song. Okay. Yes, I've heard, you, I've heard you talk about that before. I can, I can, I can see that. A particular person, and um, yeah, I... I think that worked really well. Um, Eric came up with a really nice counter melody during the um, "Don't Go Talking in Sleep Now." Yeah. Um, da, da, da. On the offbeat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, yeah, the offbeat. It's really good. Don't go talking in sleep now.
I like in Lifeline. I really like the way it resolves at the end, and you go into a kind of almost like a God only knows circular. It kind of fits with the. Yeah, musically, it's very satisfying because it, it really it, it, it's a kind of musical balm at the end. There, you kind of yeah. resolve. Yeah, I, like, I really like it. It reminds me of the way Survivor uh, fades out as well, Graham, where you've got that that lovely kind of there's a kind of like an optimism about it isn't it yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah everything's fine <laughs> yeah 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 um okay tokyo bored me <laughs> yeah fair enough fair enough old mr time that was good yeah i like that one rochdale torturious i think I thought it was great, I have to say. It's, well, it's, I, it's beautifully just, catchy, yeah, I think. I just think it's like, who's going to write a song about Rochdale? But I remember <laughs> one thing. I did have a bit of insecurity about it. I remember playing it to Eric. I said, is this, is this any good or is it shit? He said, no, it's good. Do it, that's it. <laughs> so, thank him for that. Can I just jump in, Rochdale, to watch Arias? We've seen an early track sheet for Bloody Taurus, which I don't think has Dreadlock Holiday, but has from Rochdale to watch Arias as the opening track. Um, maybe it was just an early compilation tape. Was was there any talk about that as a single? Because to me, it's very, very... Uh, there was, and it was released as a single in Australia. Ah. Okay. I think it did something there. You could probably check that, so I'm not going to... I'm not going to uh, say that's definitely true. Okay. Uh, what should I talk to is? And then everything you wanted to know about sex but was afraid to ask, is that that's Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm trying to... I'm trying to remember that. But, I took my to see the day but That one. Yeah. yeah. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't... For me, Tokyo is a track that. Okay. Yeah, I find that one uh, really dull, actually. It's 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 dour. Uh, anyway, I, I didn't care for it. <laughs> and the one the one you didn't mention here, I think, Graham, the anonymous alcoholic, which re oh. which reuses part of "Get It While You Can," which is odd. It kind yeah. of recycles. Uh, yeah, we recycle bits of these. <laughs> yeah, okay. Nothing wrong with that. And now and again, I, I thought that was great. Um, yeah. yeah. It kind of captured the. I've definitely had too much. <laughs> yeah, it's it sounds almost like a ten C Mark One piece. It's got that multi part and it's quite yeah. off the wall. You know? Definitely. Um, out, out of interest, Graham, with with Bloody Taurus, you've got separate writing credits for the first time. Was that a significant shift? Do you think? I, I think it probably was. Yeah. Um, sort of. Uh, not the beginning of the end, but that's how it was. Um, because on Deceptive Bends, everything was written by the two of us, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Yeah. But on this one, we've got we've got a few different ones. Uh, I'm trying to think why that would be, um, and I can't think why that would be. But I think it just it wasn't a um, a conscious decision to do that. I think it just happened. Sure, sure. One, 
tell us about the about what happens in the next decade. Paul and I both hear a drop in form with Look Here. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure if you'd if you'd I, agree I, with us there. I don't. There are some good things like um, Mirror Mirror, which we've we, we've we've spoken about, of yes. course. Mm. Windows in the Jungle. There was some good. It, what it is is basically, and the stuff we did with um, with Andrew, I, I liked. Yeah, um, that was really good. But after Eric's accident and the big break thereafter and us both doing separate things before eventually getting back, I think we'd lost it, basically. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. It doesn't matter at all. I don't know that I told you this story. I can't remember which album it was, but we took it to our record company, which was um, not Poly not Polygram. Um, well, do you know, I can't remember our bloody, it's so long ago. <laughs> to, anyway, to, Mer to Mercury, you mean? Mercury, yeah. Or the English, whatever the English version of it was. Mm. We played it to Brian Shepherd, who was the the chairman or the head of A&R or whatever. And as we're playing it, I'm feeling mm. this. I think, fuck. <laughs> it's not good, not good. When we're in this, let me just jump back, backtrack a bit. When Eric and I are in the studio, we're kind of like going, this is great, this is great. We're kind of encouraging one another and believing in ourselves. But it's only when you start anything, when you've written a song and you think this is really good and you start playing it to somebody, you go, why did I put this bit in? It's really crap. It's and you thought you had a doubt in it, and now I'm playing it to somebody else. You're going, oh, shit, do that for. We played it to Brian Shepherd, and I could feel I was just like I felt horrible. Mm. Anyway, he didn't say anything other than say, I just want to play you something. I remember him playing Dire Straits, mm. Private Investigation. Right. And this was like Okay, you know, <laughs> and I don't know how long after that we we carried on, but I mean, there were certain albums like Meanwhile, which I don't know whether I've talked about. No, I can't do it, it's unlistenable. Before that, I would say there are tracks I go, I that's really nice, or I love this thing, but generally, we lost it. Mm. Yeah, there's, there's, there's still great moments studied on, on, on all the records. I know, but it's not, it's not enough, is it? Not enough. Well, not when, you've, not when you made sheet music a few years earlier, I suppose. Yeah, you know. yeah that was the thing. So I think the combination of... What happened to Eric and, and his, it, it, it changed him somewhat. Mm -hmm. There was a shift in musical taste as well. And maybe we should have just left it alone and just, but we kept going. There were contractual obligations. Oh. There was maybe a naive belief that we could get it back again. Well, 
very end, I remember we did write some, I thought was some really good stuff that actually even didn't appear um, right. on, the, on, the, on the Meanwhile album. Um, we had too much material. Um, but however, Water Under the Bridge. Yeah I, th- yeah, I think Eric talks about there was a lot of joy in your songwriting sessions with Eric uh, for, the, for the Meanwhile album. And he said that he thought that, that the demos were way better than, than the album turned out. The whole thing with uh, Gary Katz was pretty much a disaster from the start. We, we got off on, on the wrong foot when we'd, we'd written these extra songs and said to Gary, we were driving to the studio, I think, you know, what do you think of the new stuff? Because maybe we should think about not doing blah, blah, blah and putting this new stuff in. He said, I've not heard it yet. Hmm. Right. You mean he hadn't bothered to listen to it? It was a moment. Mm. There was no recovering from that. Mm. And then um, the whole concept of... We worked with some of the greatest, like, you know, Jeff Picaro, Mm -hmm. one of the drummers... But it, it didn't work, you know, we don't, we should have had a, a, a band, you know, like we did with Deceptive Bands with Paul, you know, and Bloody Taurus, a lot of it, was, and, and Stuart Tosh. It was our guys, we were... Yes. Yeah, yeah you, uh, and, and you weren't even playing bass on it, for fuck's sake, Graham. <laughs> I mean, what, what were you thinking? <laughs> thinking I'm going to trust our American record company that said, <laughs> you want to break in America, then they didn't say, if you want to break in America, do not play back. <laughs> <laughs> didn't say that. But someone that was used to working as a producer, Gary Cat, with Freddie Washington, with Jeff Picaro, with Larry Carton, you mm. know, with all these guys who were absolutely brilliant and respected and fantastic musicians, but sure. it wasn't, didn't work for us. A lesson. Yes, yes. Going back in time slightly to Windows in the Jungle, which I kind of kind of put side by side with Meanwhile in, in, in a way for me, because it's, again, it's a very slick, almost American sounding record. It, it strikes me that the concept of the, of the album was really tasty. And had a, a lot of promise, and there are some lovely moments on it. What What do you think of when you think back to Windows in the Jungle? I think was that the that was the album with um, Steve Gadd on it. Yes, yes, right. yes, and Simon Phillips as well. That's, That's right. What I about it, sitting with Steve Gadd. Right. Playing. I think the songs, I can't remember the track listing. Uh, 20, 24 Hours, um, Feel, yeah, the, feel know, the Love. Already with the fucking concept. It was too arch, too... <laughs> uh, just, 
No. <laughs> I think you, 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 you're down to one co-lead vocal on that album, City Lights, which which is my favourite track, actually. Not just I, that, because you're... Um, yeah. I, I think Simon played on that. Was Feel the Love on that? Yes. Yes. I like that. Mm. I, it worked really great. Um, I remember saying to Steve, I had this idea for the beginning, I'm telling you, I went, dap, bap, dap. And he yeah. did it. Yeah, some good moments uh, with with working with Steve Gadd and Simon uh, Phillips. Great, you know. But you can get it. Doesn't matter. You can get the best people in the world. Just squaring the circle with um, Mirror Mirror, then, which, um, although to be honest, it, you know, it doesn't hang together as an album. But your songs are very strong on that. Yeah, Ready to Go Home is a special song. I was yeah. just going to ask you about the Monkey and the Onion, which I think is a fantastic song. Rick, we Tim love Ross. that one. Yeah, well, Tim sent me a lyric. He said, you know, I, I, I'll just send the lyric. We never sat down together. He had the lyric yeah. with no melody. Oh, because he, said, uh, he says it's his daughter's favourite uh, song. He can feel his tears are flowing. It's a wonderful song. I mean, it's uh, I, it's funny because I thought I heard elements of your lyrical style in it early on in the song, but clearly not. He was just completely lyric, and you set it to music. Yeah, no, all saw his lyric. I didn't. I didn't. I don't think I changed a word or a line, or had to take a lot, anything out or alter it for to fit in with the music. I just saw the lyric and. Wow. Okay, that's great. And, and was did you know that Ready to Go Home was it was a special song when you wrote it with, yeah. with Andrew? Yeah. We loved it. We thought it was really good. We thought it was like a, to us, it was like a, had a Peter Gabriel kind of grandiosity about it. Yes, definitely. And it was emotional as well. Because yes. Right from the, the, the opening lyric is, is, is stunning, you know, on, on the streets below these walls where I used to walk. Mm. It sound, it, the, the, the word hospital is never mentioned, but it sounds like your father, maybe Andrew, is in hospital. Yeah, that's the feeling you get. Yes. Um, I don't think that was, that was Andrew's um, line. Um, oh. uh, to me, it's... My life is coming to an end. I'm, yes. I'm tired and I don't know what the wall is, but you know, sometimes you write something mm. and you have the foggiest idea what it means, but <laughs> it feels right. Yeah. I don't have to explain everything. You know what? Everything's so literal, you know? Yes. I'm ready to go. Is it true that, um, I mean, Andrew sang it, of course, uh, and I believe he expected Eric or, or yourself or so, to replace the vocal, but you or Eric said, no, that's it, we're going to just go with that vocal? Is what happened? I remember that. I just thought it worked because we made that record with Adrian Lee. Yes. Right. I was never going to uh, change my voice or, or Andrew's. Okay. But we okay. did... We did it on stage. I mean, Eric sang. It was a duet, really. Mm. Yes, yes, okay. It, it really works with the... I mean, it can be sung on your own, but really, it's a duet. And uh -huh. uh, Eric would sing um, 
I think we might have swapped parts because on the record I'm singing the higher part. Okay. So we may well have swapped, but I can't remember. But ten, the ten, ten CC did did uh, do it live. I don't know whether there's any. I don't. I don't know whether there's any footage of it or anything. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, not sure. I've heard an audio. That was probably the Japanese tour, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Time has run its course with me. Then I'm ready to go home. Okay, ju- just briefly on, on, on harmonies, one thing which is conspicuous by its absence, and maybe it was due to the working relationship with you and Eric as the years progressed, was like a proper two-part harmony on a record between you and him. You don't hear that very often. There, There is one on... Memories, I think, which is which I think is a great track. I, I love that song. Yeah. It's, and I think you know, cause it's so striking. You hear that you know proper two-part harmony line all the way through the chorus, and it, yeah. it, it's it's they're, they're noticeable by their absence because you two you know harmonise so brilliantly when when you did. Yeah, done very well together. We dream in the night of mythical days and nights in white sand. Just, I don't know, I, there was no conscious, uh, you know, we were working separately, really, so. Sure, yeah. Oh, on that album, it's very, very separately. Yes. yes. Um, and even on, on the Meanwhile album, I'm not sure that we did any two-part things. Mm-hmm. But I, I'll never find out because I'm... Never listened to it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. On a, on a more a positive angle, I mean, sort of winding back to the ten out of ten album, Graham. I mean, you, you were talking about Andrew, uh, yeah, his involvement and Andrew being brought in, I think, by the American record company to kind of uh, bolster the album up a little bit. Um, I'm fascinated in 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 my vision of an alternate universe where Andrew actually joins. 10cc would would that have changed things would that change things massively for you yes it would have done and we we asked him to join it was a no-brainer to me yeah we worked well together we had very similar musical roots um and he 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 couldn't do it. He just said, "I you know, there's too. I don't want like travelling. He had a fear of flying. Yeah. It just wouldn't work. Um, and what a shame. Uh, that could have been a big game game changer. However, it was. We did go on to work together, and my relationship with Andrew was amazing. I mean, it's just like incredible." Yeah, I mean, we'd we'd like to explore that maybe another time because yeah, I'd, I'd love to talk about. Here's a whole yes, work. as a whole podcast. I'll definitely um, definitely we, we'd love to do that. He's a major major. He was a major talent, um, and uh, we were like, you know, like brothers. We mm. and it, but uh, we we had similarities and enough differences to make it like a, a good thing. Right. Sure. Sure. We've come a long way from mono to stereo. Mozart would freak at the crap on the radio. Hits are produced by computer technology. You stick it in one and it comes out. Yeah, his personality really shines through, doesn't it? And hearing um, like it or loathe it, you know, hearing um, we've heard it all before, which I, 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 
yeah, I fall down on the side of thinking that it's really fun. Actually, a, a lot of people disagree with me. But do, do you think that? Do you think that's? I missed that. Sorry. Go on. Most people Some don't. People don't. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I hear Andrew's personality there. Is that? Is that? Am I reading that right? Yeah. I mean, he's got a great, great humour. Um, but he was a very funny, very funny man, um, and just a. Uh, Loved music, you know. I, I could talk, I could go on, but we should maybe save that for uh... yeah, let's save it for a set a discreet conversation because, because similar to the 10cc thing, there's a lot, you know, Wax was three albums, but there's a lot of Goldman Gold songs outside of that, which we'd like, like to talk about as yeah. well. I'm very proud of what we did, what Andrew and I did. There's some things are better than others, mm-hmm. but there are some songs. I'm not even sure whether they're, they're on the wax. Like songs like, do you know the song Holiday? We're yeah, on yeah, holiday. yeah, yeah. That was made in, like, we had one keyboard, two guitars, right. track Fostex in the house I used to live in. Yeah. When we made that album, it was such a, a joy. Um, like, it was just so much fun to, to, to make. I, I, I love that song in particular. It's got... It's got so much in it, the Disney things. And yeah. We're on a holiday, a magic holiday. The kids are out of school. Now the only rule is feeling okay. Yeah, we'll, we'll keep our powder dry and we'll do a, a specific <laughs> Andrew conversation. Wonderful. Right. Yeah, no, what, what, a, what a lovely prospect. Takes your breath. your in- enjoyment with the with the current bands graham compared with the old days um, that might be a, a ridiculous question but it, it's it's very very different uh, in that i'm the only member from the original band although we've got rick and paul and i always mention that in interviews but of course i know they're not the original members so yeah there's no getting away from that but it does it does mean something that I mean. Rick was on, played on Dreadlock Holiday, and you know was on the on the some of the latter stuff. Yeah. Uh, and Paul, of course, has been with us on the road since the very beginning. Mm. It's less not that it was stressful, but it's more everything now is easier because I'm older, basically. Yeah. So I don't have to take any shit from anybody, <laughs> and if you don't like it, you can fuck off. <laughs> 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 that's quite a big element to it as well and and, and i mean I, I'm, I'm controlling everything and doing everything the way i want it to I, I listen to what the boys say like rick is one of my oldest friends so mm-hmm. if he says something or doesn't agree with something that's going on he'll tell me and i listen to what he says um so it's a very different very different experience uh i'm proud to be playing the songs that I was a part of, whether I, songs I wrote, songs I didn't write, but yet, and this goes for the original four of us, whoever wrote it, as I've I've been telling you all along, the other members put so much into it, they they have a sort of right to a kind of ownership of those songs Mm. and the of it, because we we all produced it, the records. Um, I love 
doing it. If I wasn't playing with, with, with the band as it is today, I'd be in a pub band playing in a blues band or something. I've got to, I've got to play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, um, so I'm lucky that I can, because I'm a, a, a member of, or a, a member of what was the original band, I can, I can do it. And it's proved, although it's taken a long time to build it back up, but we're now, or we were, <laughs> and we will be next <laughs> year. Yeah. You know, sell out concerts and do big festivals and everything else. And I think people have accepted eventually, although there will be some that disagree, and I kind of understand that, but there's more positives than negatives, um, that people are listening, still listening to the music of 10CC live, and this is the, really the only way you're going to hear it, as near as damn it. Mm-hmm. With some things exactly the same, or almost, because you've got the actual singer there. Yeah, you've got but, Kevin on screen or, or whatever, yeah? Well, we've got, there you go. You know, we incorporate Kevin, and Kevin has done some other videos for us for the opening of the show and uh, for Unlike and Love as well. So he's kind of like semi-involved in it as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, here, 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 Graham. Well, well said. It's interesting. I'd lock horns with people on Facebook groups, you know. Um, you, you sometimes hear that debate um, where the, the, Eric, the Eric Easters are on there saying, oh, it's... If Eric's not there, it's not 10cc. Okay. What, what, what right has Graham to go out and, on his own? And, and, I, and I very often I dive in and I yeah. say, look, it's about getting that music across to a live audience. I'm in a Beach Boys tribute band. Okay, we have no original members of the Beach Boys in our band, Graham, but we're, we're providing uh, people makes, who like is. the music an, yes. an opportunity to dance in the aisles and, and sing along in a live... Yeah. Uh, and surely th- that's reason enough, isn't it? But the, the proof is in the pudding, though. You know, the fact that we can do sell-out tours. Yes. Why is that? Why, why do people want to see it, then, if it's not, if Eric's not there, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's because of the songs. It, of the it songs. is. He's opted out of things, uh, as Kevin Law opted out of... Uh, yeah. Of, yeah. But they don't, just don't want to do it. So should I not do it because you don't want to do it, or you know? Of course not. So get over it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and Graham, honestly, well done you for for keeping it going because you know the, the fact that the reason people come to the theatres and, and pack them out is because the music's fucking fantastic. The songs are the stars of the show. That's what I've always said. Yeah. So, not, and, and you, I, I'm going to be the best at exponent of doing, making sure sonically the sound, the arrangements, the whole thing is that that it's going to be a you know a good experience yeah. and uh, honors the music. It uh, does. It which does. Is, that's what that's what I want to do. Totally. And I'm part of the, that music. So some things I wrote, some things I didn't, but mm. I was part of everything as we all were. Absolutely, and Harvey said to us uh, recently, Graham, that he he thought it was the best the band had ever sounded uh, coming to recent shows. I know that's an interesting thing to say because can that be so? I mean, it isn't. You know, if there was a, a Beatles, could you say that a Beatles tribute sound band sounded better than the Beatles? Well, maybe sonically, the because of technology today, but mm. it's not not the same. But I, it, it, yeah, I know what he means. It is very, it's a very dynamic, 
And what the, one of the things, the elements of it is that we really love doing it. Mm. Yes. That, that's really an, an important element that, to... That completely comes across. And again, we'll go back to Wax another time, but... I saw the wax, a wax show in uh, 1987 at Fairfield Halls. It was only the second or third you'd done, I think. And the vibe was incredible. Both <laughs> you and Andrew had enormous grins on your faces. And <laughs> yeah. it was sort of the, the enthusiasm was, was there. And that's obviously carried all the way through to what you're doing now. Yeah, well, it does. I mean, if I, just as, as a last point, as yeah. soon as I, if I ever, ever stop enjoying it i would just not do it at all there's no there's no point um it's not good for me it's not good for for an audience but i do love it and i i think you know and the boys love it, it, it you know and uh, with any band you know what it's like with your mates in the beach boys mm. band it's just a lot of banter as well i mean it's, the, it's great fun i mean it's, it's like being in a like gang when you're a kid it's, yeah. it's pretty much the same but Anybody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. how true how true no, it's a lot it's a lot of fun um it's brilliant to be able to do that yeah um, yeah and um i'm so glad you are thank you so much graham that uh, talking of you fun are. that that was immense yeah. fun for me paul i'm sure <laughs> you're with me there <laughs> it's fabulous <laughs> It's brilliant to be able to do this. Thank you so much. It really for is. So um, ho hopefully, Graham, you'll still be kind of um, available uh, on Skype yeah. in a couple of weeks. Fine. As I've said before, this is, uh, as well as enjoying doing it, um, I, I, I think to have all this stuff, um, to be, you know, be able to be archive it as well as, as for any other purpose uh, yeah. for people to do it, um, it's great. So I'm happy to do it. All right, well, gents, thanks so much. Um, a hugely enjoyable, Graham. Very good. good yeah, to see and uh, you. good Whenever stuff. That may be. Brilliant. <laughs> and uh, have a good week, both. Okay. Yeah. See, see you guys. See you. Thanks. Bye bye. 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 Sure. been listening to the consequences podcast produced by paul mcnulty and sean mccreevy thanks for listening